new article by Dale Salil and colleagues recently noted that an association between historical neighborhood redlining and cardiovascular outcomes among U.S. veterans with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease does in fact exist. Two new disturbing reports about mortality rates from mothers and racism is a serious public health threat. Welcome to Empowerment Rx. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring health inequities through a feminist lens. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing a little bit about why social justice and a social viewpoint matters in talking about medicine, health outcomes, and patient advocacy. I think it's really important to know why we're talking about uh, social justice in the context of um, academic journals, scientific research, and medicine. Um, I think it's often forgot that medicine is a very um, clinical, a very personable space. And so we get lost in a lot of times, um, we generally talking about um, the community that's involved in medicine. We primarily focus on new advancements, um, bets, or not bedside manner most of the time. We're focused on um, logistics, technical skills, when half of patient outcomes do in fact come from um, things that are not necessarily in the control of the provider, the healthcare provider. So first, I want to do a little bit of an introduction into the social determinants of health. The social determinants of health are defined as many things, but in my own words, I would describe them as the set of social factors that um, prescribe a patient to certain levels of risk for um, different pres- uh, conditions, different um health outcomes, different avenues of receiving medical care. One article posted November 10th of 2020 by James Ted looks at the need for physicians as advocates. Physicians as advocates for their patients and for causes that affect their patients is is really, really important and really crucial in understanding why looking why looking at health inequities um, needs to be done through this type of lens. So according to this article and according to a few different places and and from my own personal experience as well, working in a clinical setting, um, a lot of patient care is dependent on their own, uh, their own social factors in their life. And so only 10 to 20% of patient outcomes in different, different settings actually comes from um, patient receiving care from a healthcare provider. um, And that, experience being beneficial for their health. A more formal definition of the social determinants of health are the conditions in which people are born, grow, live, work, and age. These circumstances are shaped by the distribution of money, power, and resources at global, national, and local level. Again, social determinants are really important to understand and to look at when we're talking about why certain inequities exist within medicine, because it is not just the technical skill of the healthcare provider. It is not just reliant on whether or not the patient receives the health care they need. It is dependent on whether or not the patient has health insurance. It's dependent on whether or not they have, um, whether or not they deal with food insecurity, whether they deal with um, any other type of financial instability, whether they experience um, pressure from other societal factors, you know, talking about patients with um, minoritized identities that might experience additional chronic stress um, from the societal pressure and um, years of um systemic discrimination and years of these systemic processes that do wear down on an individual. Um, I guess one of the things that I'm I'm primarily talking about and kind of focusing on is um, the weathering hypothesis by Dr. Geronimus um, from the University of Michigan. And 
that hypothesis is really, really crucial to me in my own understanding, my own philosophy. And I think that it's really beneficial to discuss. And so it's the idea that over time, as these different social processes and um, systems of discrimination wear down on an individual, they become more susceptible to um, different, different conditions, different um, different health outcomes that they normally would not be susceptible to had they not undergone this type of this type of social weathering, this type of stress, this type of chronic stress that can only be explained by the different identities that people hold. And so I think a little bit of what I want to discuss right now is why can physicians not be neutral? Why physicians cannot be um why they have to be advocates in in different fields for their patients. Because in all reality, human life and human well-being is not political in the sense of providing affirming care, providing important care, providing necessary care is a part of um, any type of Hippocratic oath. It's a part of this line of work and this type of service to a community, to a person, to a country, to, to wherever. Physicianhood and medicine is a career that is dedicated to service. And I stand by that. And I know that not everyone will agree, but I think that it's important to discuss that it is a career of servicehood. And so while somebody may not think that a physician's place is to get involved in something that might be deemed controversial or political, um, it actually is. Because, for example, looking back to the 19th century and, and prior to that, um, the in inaccessibility of people with disabilities to the kind of services and needs that they or the kind of services and resources that they needed to address their um to address their their conditions to address their ability to successfully um survive and thrive as a human being and so through the advocacy of different physicians um through different healthcare providers um i think that a lot of the social and political gains that um people with disabilities gained through those centuries and later on and are still fighting for, I think a lot of that does come from the advocacy from physicians. I also think it's important to note that physicians should not be neutral in um, in of providing affirming care for transgender individuals because at, at the end of the day, there is um, empirically driven, empirically gained evidence that suggests that affirming care saves lives. Um, and so, and I'm just speaking generally here, I'm not going to necessarily provide source cards for everything that I'm talking about in this podcast. However, I think it's important to note that you cannot be neutral when policy absolutely affects the lives of your patients. Again, going back to the idea that it's only 50%, the care that you receive, the technique, the, the uh, training that your physician has, that your healthcare provider has is only 50% of what contributes to your overall picture of health. And so physicians should not be neutral in, the, in that case. Um, same thing with um, if we're talking about any type of um, systemic processes and more specifically systemic processes related to race, at the end of the day, physicians cannot be neutral in gaining more insight into how these processes function, uh, pushing for policy that helps rectify and address some of these systemic and social stressors that have provided chronic stress for these um, for their patients and that have shaped their lives and their experiences and th therefore their um, health outcomes. I think it's also important to note that you cannot be neutral in life-saving procedures, period. And we're talking about abortion rights here. Um, an abortion is 
healthcare. It is life-saving work. And so if you are neutral in that, you are actually costing your patient um, opportunities and opportunities to receive life-saving care and opportunities to complete their full picture of health that you might not necessarily be there to fulfill. However, it is going to be there or however it's important fulfilling their entire picture of health, not just focusing on the 10 to 20% that they may receive in a hospital and doctor's office and urgent care, et cetera. Before we go any further, I want to introduce myself as the host of this podcast, Empowerment Rx. Um, I'm completely self-managed, self-produced. Um, this is a passion project of mine, talking about these social determinants that do impact um, the full picture of health for so many different minoritized people. And so my name is Austin. So my name is Austin. I am a second year student at Duke University. Um, I am a psychology major and I am currently on the pre-med path. And so these issues are really important to me for a couple of different reasons. One, I think that in general, um, when we're talking about med school admissions and, and matriculation, I think that there is a big lack of empath empath emphasis on empathy, um, social skills and bedside manner. And, um, and I think you need to really be in, engrossed in the clinical process and in clinical experience and working with people to really gain those necessary skills to have a, 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 um, a fruitful, a fruitful career in medicine. That these issues are intertwined and they're complex and that you can't isolate a person from the systemic processes that have shaped their lives, shaped their amount of stress, shaped their health outcomes, shaped their um, ability to to live and succeed as a person. And so if you're cutting that short, which I've seen a lot of, um, I think I see a lot of people overgeneralizing when they're talking about healthcare. Um, and I see them do that a lot. And so I think I I wanted to start this podcast because it's a, it's an issue near and dear to my heart. I actually am a volunteer at the uh, my local emergency department. I screen for social needs and I am a community resource navigator. And so these issues all sort of culminated and I I really feel like this is a good outlet to help get people talking about um, why social justice, why feminism in particular, as a philosophy, as a viewpoint, as a lens is important in talking about medicine. Because in a lot of ways, people consider medicine and um, and social justice to be very different realms, as I've already you know, kind of sort of discussed. Um, and so that's kind of the plan for this podcast. I plan on releasing episodes bi-weekly, talking about different lens and sort of different case studies um, that are implicating medicine and social justice together, more particularly um, looking through, again, that lens of feminism, but talking about many different issues, talking about um, healthcare for healthcare for LGBTQ plus individuals. And so I think it's really important to note that in this podcast, we will be discussing not only historical context, specific case studies, but also the incessant need for physicians to continue to serve in this role as an advocator for their patients and as an advocator for social justice and for the causes that directly impact their ability to provide um, accurate and helpful patient care. So I kind of want to look into a little bit of a case study right now. So I'm looking at a article from the New York Times posted by the editorial board called Do Poor People Have a Right to Healthcare? And this specific case study looks at 16 Kentuckians who won a lawsuit challenging the legality of Medicaid work requirements. So their case was the fact that over stringent requirements to qualify for Medicaid um, through their employer was actually counterproductive considering the fact that no matter how many hours someone works or what people do 
deserve access to decent care. So back in 2017, 2018, this was a this was a, a large issue, primarily for the fact that the federal government the federal government wanted to reverse decades of precedent and allow states to tie Medicaid coverage to work requirements. So one thing I think that this opinion piece does really well is it talks about the fact that this, looking from an, an evidence standpoint and looking from the numbers, does very little, this this policy, this reversing the precedent, did very little to actually reduce costs associated with Medicaid and to um, lower the amount of people who were receiving benefits from Medicaid. Uh, but more so it was for the social stigma, the fact that many Americans um, feel as though Medicaid is something that should be stigmatized, that people do not deserve these safety nets. And I, I kind of want to bring into discussion, you know, this idea of is healthcare a right? And I think that from a physician standpoint, a physician should not, again, not be neutral in this standpoint and should absolutely take the position of the idea that healthcare is a right because, because of this idea that health should be need-based. And so, again, looking at these social determinants, it's very probable that someone, let's say, with type 2 diabetes may be able to let's just assume for this for this case study in particular, are able to get to a physician, are able to get diagnosed, are able to get prescribed um, their proper blood sugar medication, you know, for somebody with type 1 diabetes, you know, insulin. And they may be able to, to be able to get their monitors correct. They might be able to get all these things from their healthcare provider. But at the end of the day, assuming that they can afford their prescriptions, assuming that they can afford to take time off work to make it to the doctor, assuming that they can afford the doctor visit, the copay, um, assuming that they'll be able to make payments on this visit in the future is something that strictly limits and definitely damages the ability of the physician to provide accurate and, and important life-saving care. So for a physician to say, well, I'm not in favor or against Medicaid expansion, you know, Medicaid eligibility, I'm not, to say that poor people, for colloquial terms, poor people do not deserve the right to health care it is absolutely taking a stand and saying that my patients, their ability to receive accurate and full care on all on all ends and across different many different spectrums is not a priority to me. And if you are a physician that feels that way, again, this is a career dedicated to service. As a physician, if you do not feel that it is your job to accurately and properly um, describe and treat a patient at whatever stage of life that they are at and whatever needs that they need addressed, including the social ones, then again, you are not fulfilling that oath to service. Another hot topic issue that has especially been present in a lot of my discussions of the social determinants of health, considering the fact that I now go attend school in North Carolina, I am living in North Carolina, I am working in North Carolina, I vote in North Carolina, is the topic of Medicaid. Um, expansion. And so essentially Medicaid expansion has been put forward by the federal government, but again, it is the state's um the state's own jurisdiction to decide whether or not they go ahead and um add that additional eligibility on and to expand Medicaid um for the their citizens of their state. This expansion came with the Affordable Care Act and basically the federal government under the federal Affordable Care Act um, provides states the authority to expand Medicaid eligibility to individuals under age 65 and families with incomes below 133% of the federal poverty level. Now, when I first started studying at Duke University, North Carolina had not yet expanded Medicaid. Now, due to uh, the November election and the fact that at the time, um, the Republicans in the state legislature had not 
retained a supermajority and the governor governor still retained his veto. Um, and due to lobbying from major um, healthcare systems, including Duke Health, um, Medicaid expansion actually was pushed forward and was supported by a few Republican colleagues. Now, I want to bring that into, into consideration for this next topic we're going to discuss, which is the current topic in North Carolina and more specifically in the research triangle, especially considering the fact that um, the research triangle is a very politically blue area and is a area that has a lot of um, a lot of medical advancements, a lot of tech boom, and is home to a lot of students. I would say overall, the environment in these in this area and in North Carolina as a whole um, do not necessarily align just for the fact that the research triangle is a very small specific part of North Carolina and does not necessarily align with the voting patterns of the rest of the state. However, on a personal basis, I feel like there is still a lot of stigma around medicine becoming quote unquote political. And again, I don't think that we should politicize things that are necessary in providing accurate and comprehensive patient care. Just because something has been deemed political or controversial by another entity or by a certain political party does not necessarily mean that that idea or that thing, whatever it may be, is inherently political or controversial and should be avoided in a professional path or professional career like medicine. Because at the end of the day, these proposals that are being pushed forward, including Medicaid expansion, um, and if we're talking about the idea, the philosophy that healthcare is a human right, these ideas are not political and they're absolutely crucial in providing accurate and fulfilling patient care. And again, going back to my own personal philosophy and I think what should be the philosophy going forward for um, for physicians who and other healthcare providers that are looking to start a career in this path and, and fulfill this oath of service is the idea that, that no matter what, we should be meeting the patient where they are at and getting them to a point where they're able to um, concretely and accurately treat whatever ailment they are currently experiencing, which is impossible if they are not given proper access to um, the coping mechanisms to deal with the social and um, other systemic processes that limit their ability to fully heal and have good health. Now, a lot of this personal stigma is very historical. Um, it was used as a talking ploy for um, political parties that were advocating for big business, for you know, um, different lobbying, different. And I think one important thing to note here, and again, I do not want to make this a political podcast. I want to make this a podcast that um, intertwines medicine and social justice is this idea of, is this Western idea of individualism, correct? Every person is on their own. Um, the individual is more important than the group. And while I think these ideas are important in their own right, and there's no necessarily right or wrong philosophy, I think that this idea that every person should be on their own, that um, people's standpoints and people's um, positions in different social hierarchies are their own doing, um, is one, factually incorrect, um, and two, just very damaging in um, creating a sort of cohesion and sort of and sort of unity among among different Americans with different um, social backgrounds. So one idea that really sticks out to me is this idea of stress. Stress is a killer. And while we know that stress is not necessarily a um, inherent killer and it's not necessarily bad for your health in its, all of its entirety, um, this idea that somebody should always be working, somebody should always be um, looking for the next quote unquote, I guess I'll say hustle or grind. And that's a big thing you see, especially with students is this idea of grinding, right? There's never a break. There's never a time to stop and really take a comprehensive look at yourself in its entirety and look at your health. 
And I think this is an idea that kind of limits, again, this, this idea of unity among people saying that we should take care of each other, we should take care of our own. And again, as a physician, you cannot be neutral in this because your goal should be to heal everyone. Your goal is to um, increase health outcomes, positive health outcomes for everyone, regardless of what social status they are at. The next thing I want to discuss is a little bit more personal to me and a little bit more personal to North Carolina. Um, and it's the implementation of certain resource directory systems. Uh, one in particular that I'm going to talk about is NC Care 360. So NC Care 360 has been adopted by a lot of um, a lot of volunteer organizations, certain health systems. Duke Health is now implementing NC Care 360. But basically, it is a resource directory program that lists community resources, um, different organizations that can help people address their social their social needs. Then community resource navigators, whether that be um, a healthcare provider, a volunteer, they're able to refer patients and get them and are able to get them assistance with getting whatever things they might need to address some of their social needs that necessarily weren't addressed in triage, weren't addressed in a um, in a doctor's office, weren't addressed in urgent care, weren't addressed in the ER. And so this has been really crucial, I think, in um paving the way for implementing social screenings in the healthcare setting. There's a lot of backlash to this because there are, there are ideas out there that social standpoints do not necessarily impact health. And then if you're going to a doctor, the doctor should focus on the concrete facts that they have in front of them about health on a biological level, um, on a strictly biological level, I will say, because everything that isn't social is inherently biological and everything that's biological is inherently social and psychological. But focusing simply on um, anatomy and physiology when so much more of the health outcome is directly linked to the patient's living standards, their social identities, um, many of the social determinants that we've talked about before. So I think NC Care 360 is a great stepping stone. It is not a perfect um, program and hasn't been implemented um, perfectly, but I think that the future of this, this, um, this idea, this organization as a resource directory that doctors and other healthcare providers and healthcare systems can start implementing is really crucial in starting to complete the full picture of health that is necessary in um, in creating better health outcomes, positive health outcomes. Another important factor I think to take into consideration is um, the requirements for med school matriculation and the way that we are training our different healthcare providers in, um, in, certain, in certain ways. And I think that starts with specifically looking at the MD route. However, I think that this is applicable to many other um, paths that people take to get into um, a, a profession in healthcare. It is requiring more humanities classes, requiring more sociology classes, and requiring a lot more clinical time and experience because it is possible to, un to go through somebody's undergraduate experience, get a degree in biology, chemistry, one of the hard natural sciences, but have never really experienced um, working with people and working with patients that are not strictly out of a textbook. And again, to get this full picture of health, it is absolutely necessary to understand different factors that affect someone's ability to take treatment, get to a doctor, um, fulfill the orders prescribed by the doctor, to continue making lifestyle changes to uh, improve their health. And so if you're not taking into consideration all those things and you haven't been taught to, and you haven't been taught um, the historical context behind certain policies and programs, and you haven't been taught the historical context uh, for why certain regions of the world might experience different ailments, or you haven't been taught um, some of the institutional processes that we have that produce these, these negative out health outcomes for minoritized identities, it's going to be really difficult for you to make that up for through the rest of your training. And so I think first off, we need to start with how we're training our professionals 
But at the end of the day, it is not solely uh, a professional issue. It is not solely a socioeconomic issue. Uh, these things have intersectionality and they have complexity. And I think that's where feminism comes into play is talking about that intersectionality and that complexity of why we can't just say, well, social justice and medicine without truly understanding what that means. Well, I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening to this first episode of Empowerment Rx. Again, this is brought to you by a second year student at Duke University um, who is interested in the social determinants of health and studying the implications of social justice in medicine. Next episode, we'll focus more specifically on feminism and its historical context and looking through the lens of feminism at certain health outcomes, certain um, historical ailments, and looking at how we can use feminism to guide medicine um, and healthcare providers in addressing these different concerns. With that being said, I want to thank you again for supporting and listening to Empowerment Rx. This is something that I have been wanting to do for a long time. It's a passion project of mine. And so um, any support, any sharing will be greatly appreciated. I just want to make sure that I'm able to um, create healthy discourse in the communities that I'm involved in and to be able to talk about an issue that I'm very passionate about.